listening to KG Mwekezi on SAFM. The Talking Point on SAFM. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. So welcome to our three of the Talking Point here on SFM on Wednesday, the 28th of February. We're leading the conversation. Join whenever you want to on our studio line 86 2032 That's 86 The SMS line is 41391. But that comes to you at around 50. The WhatsApp line 061-410-4107. That's 061-410-4107. We're on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. We are at SFM Radio and please hashtag SFM Talking Point when you want to talk to us. So tomorrow, the 29th of February is Red Disease Day. It is used to raise awareness for rare diseases and to improve access to treatment and medical representation for individuals with rare diseases and their families. According to the medical fraternity, there are seven thousand identified rare diseases to date with some widely recognized by name such as cystic fibrosis hemophilia and sickle cell while others are less known such as cat eye syndrome in a country like ours though uh, it must be heartbreaking to live with a rare disease as we know we are in the most unequal society in the world so what happens if you are poor and your child needs special treatment for a rare disease knowing of course how expensive uh, medical care is so invited uh, Bada Parasi, the CEO of the Innovative Pharmaceutical Association of South Africa, and Matlatze Mashala, who lives with neurofibromatosis. Good morning to the both of you, and thank you so much for taking the time this morning. Let's start with you, uh, CEO of the Innovative Pharmaceutical Association of South Africa. It's declared a rare disease under what circumstances. Um, good morning. Good morning, KG. Good morning to listeners and good morning to Mashazi. Yeah, rare diseases are declared rare diseases on account that they affect uh, a very small percentage of people, one person out of every 2,000. Uh, if you look at it globally, 35 to 5.9% of the world's population has the uh, rare diseases. And this corresponds to almost 40 million people living in Africa. Almost, did you say 40, 40 million people living in Africa? Yeah, it corresponds to 50 million people of the world's global population. Okay, okay. So up to now, we know of 7,000 that are identified as rare. Uh, you know, how, what, what, what is the, what, how often do that, how, does, how often does that number uh, get reviewed, the number of 7,000? Uh, because of the constant research that is done, you are going to find that the number will always increase. Uh, What happens is that it takes up to five years for someone to be diagnosed with a rare disease. And it's something that affects 
mostly children. It's a it's a genetic it's a it's of genetic origin and can be associated with lifelong disability. And it often starts in childhood, as I said. The difficulty is that some rare diseases actually remain undiagnosed, or patients with rare diseases will go on in life without that rare disease being diagnosed. And there are instances when they have been diagnosed, but there is really no uh, no known cure for them or no known treatment. Wow. Which, you know, makes me think that living with a rare disease is also an expensive exercise. What happens then, particularly in relation to the poorest of the poor? We know we live in the most unequal society in the world. What happens to those cases, those people that uh, in that five-year period, you said it takes about five years to be able to diagnose a a rare disease. What happens to those people who end up uh, getting undiagnosed in terms of how they live? And how expensive is it to live with a red d- disease on average? It is extremely expensive. And what makes it even more difficult is the death or lack of consistent epidemiological information. So what happens is that there's a very low prevalence uh, of such diseases and clinical trials that could help to identify new drugs to treat the diseases are very rare because of the low incidence of this. The best way to ensure that such red diseases are properly diagnosed and treated is to ensure that we have governments with uh, public health policy that raises awareness among policymakers, healthcare professionals, and the general public. Some patients will go on in life without really understanding what it is. And sadly, among our African population, people will then start reading other things like Boloi and, and so on, and we find people rarely go for medical treatment. Wow. And even as they do, it is not many doctors who really understand the cause of these radical diseases. I mean, it could be any one of the 7,000 managers. Okay, so it sounds to me like the investment where science is concerned is largely on, on, on the bigger diseases and ultimately because there is no investment uh, in the smaller or the so-called rare diseases, it ends up really leaving people living with them in a state of paralysis in most cases. Unfortunately, yes. We in the pharma industry believe that we should have a vision that promotes equitable and timely access to the tools and the appropriate health infrastructure and supportive care that patients need. What it means is that there must be active collaboration between governments, scientists, the pharmaceutical industry, all healthcare practitioners, and importantly, patients. What's particularly important is to empower the patients to be the one who take the lead in deciding what's going to happen to them. Of course, they need the expert advice of the of the scientists and everybody, but they are the ones who should be empowered to lead any, any, any activities that are going to try to assist them. 
Yeah. So let's bring to the conversation Matlatze Mashala. Matlatze Mashala is living with neurofibromatosis. Matlatze, good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. Firstly, explain to me what is neurofibromatosis and how does it manifest in your body? Good morning. Okay, good morning, Katie, and good morning, Mr. Father and Ms. Moss. Okay, um, neurofibromatosis is a genetic uh, skin condition which you must grow along your nerves, your body, and your spinal cord, and also and also the brain. And the tumors, like sometimes they grow aggressively. How long did it take uh, for you to be diagnosed with neurofib- sorry, neurofibromatosis? Um, I was diagnosed in 1997. I was 12 years old. So my parents started to see tumors growing on my body. Then we went, then went to the doctor, then he checked me, then he, then he confirmed that it's neurofibromatosis. And, and, and at, at the age of 12, uh, when your parents noticed that you get the tumors, how long had you been having the tumors for? Um, they were not showing in the beginning, like from my early childhood up until 12, there were no tumors at all. So they started to manifest when I was at the age of 12. I think I was in grade 7. Okay. And then the process of uh, the the, the doctors being able to expediently uh, diagnose you with uh, uh, neurofibromatosis. I'm sorry, by the way, if I, you know, (laughs) don't pronounce it right. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm trying to get to uh, the process from the moment your parents uh, realized to when the doctor said, Matlats, the condition you have is neurofibromatosis. How long was that window for um it was um uh, i think it's seven years it took seven years for the diagnosis to be declared no no that no for, for the diagnosis to be declared it only took uh, them two weeks because they had to take the blood and take them to the lab and then the blood came back and I was diagnosed with neurofibromatosis. So with you, it took uh, a two-week period, which is much shorter than uh, most uh, rare diseases. So in terms of treatment um, and living with uh, neurofibromatosis, w- what what has that meant for you? Um, there's no treatment for now, so I am taking each day as it is. So the only thing that I can do is to cut them, is to go to, to surgery. You know, I had this other one that was just growing aggressively. It was like a size of a, of, of a golf ball. So that is the one that I have removed, and they suspected that it was also suspicious to, to sarcoma. But luckily, it was not sarcoma. It was okay. So how many surgeries have you had to have up to now? Um, I only did how many surgeries? I think it's about three surgeries, but with different um, tumors that they were removing. 
Wow. So, uh, Mr. Paras, let's talk about the issue of access to healthcare services and uh, particularly specialized facilities for people living with rare diseases and and whether that's a barrier uh, for the people with with rare diseases, uh, you know, and how we as a country can enhance equity and quality in, in driving the issue of access. Mr. Parasi? Jean, let me start from the point of view of the pharmaceutical research and development industry. Our responsibility to ensure that there's continued research and development uh, to seek treatments. And importantly, before you even get to a treatment, you need to work on diagnostic tools that will help you to to get to the bottom of that particular disease. And as you said, in many cases, you just have diseases and it's difficult to diagnose it because no one has ever experienced it before. It also calls for a public health policy among governments so that government has some kind of resources that will ensure that as soon as a child gets into a clinic or hospital, was a debilitating disease that seems untreatable, they should have the facilities and the experienced healthcare professionals to start looking at the diagnosis. It is also important that within a country, you seek international collaboration with other countries because it is only through international collaboration that you can learn from the best practices of other countries. In South Africa, something called the Red Diseases Access Initiative was started to address the difficulties uh, that that this kind of populace has to live with. And just a few weeks ago, in fact, two weeks ago, Diseases Initiative hosted an international conference in Johannesburg in four ways, where people with different rare diseases or parents or treaters of care, or caregivers of children with rare diseases met to share experiences. And everybody was there, and by everybody I mean the pharmaceutical industry, government representatives, and all other kinds of specialists who have the experience of dealing with rare diseases in order to share experiences. We need that collaboration among everybody. Mm. Uh, it sounds, though, when you said to me earlier that, you know, uh, people living with rare diseases, uh, their diagnostic odyssey or the journey, uh, you know, for them to being diagnosed sometimes can take up to five years. It, it sounds that, uh, you know, we have to make an investment into innovative technologies uh, for the purposes of uh, diagnosed, uh, diagnostics. What is the appetite for that innovation? Uh, particularly in the public health care sector? Well, first of all, research and development is... When you innovate, it means that a lot has to be invested. A lot of resources, including knowledge, including funding, to go into those scientific uh, studies in order to get to the bottom of the disease. 
And quite often, when people come up with some innovation, it needs to be patent protected so that they can continue to generate a sort of clawback on the funds or the resources that they put into that investment. But sometimes, given the fact that by their very nature, rare diseases are very rare, and there is not a lot of appetite for individual companies to work on these diseases. That's why the International Federation of Pharmaceutical Manufacturers encourages collaboration among its members, among scientific communities, to all work together with governments to get to the bottom of this. Mm. It really takes a lot of collaborative effort. Mm-mm. So, I mean, they do obviously get less attention and less research funding compared to the more common conditions. I mean, uh, we got to the the, the number and the, the matter of COVID uh, because, you know, all kinds of uh, organizations and people put money into it uh, because yeah. it was affecting so many people. Uh, you know, why, why is focusing on research and promoting funding for research important when we speak about improving issues of access to healthcare for people with, with rare diseases? We we have to focus on research because of the very nature of most rare diseases. The fact that they are so rare, so mm. they, are, they are unknown. So you do have to do a lot of research. You have to spend a lot of effort on diagnostic tools in order to help diagnose exactly what the genetic uh, source could be of this particular disease. Yeah. And then what happens is that the medication also is very, very scarce and as a result, quite expensive. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of expenses, let's bring back uh, Mathazi. Uh, you know, let, let, let's talk about the challenges that you faced in the medical journey, particularly in relation to how much you have to spend to live with it. Um, luckily, I was maybe privileged enough because my parents were—they—they—they they, they are both working, mm-hmm. so it was easier for them to take me to different doctors. There was this other day I was attacked by a stroke, which was caused by the doctor. The doctor confirmed that the stroke was caused by neurofibromatosis. Mm-hmm. Yes, so they did some tests and I went through treatment, then I was okay. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, outside of the support of your parents, Excuse me, Mathats. Outside of the support of your parents, have you um, come across other people who live with the condition that you live with? And what kind, if at all, what kind of support have you formed with each other as a group of people that live with neurofibromatosis? Okay. Um, There's not much support that we can give each other. The only support we're giving each other is to encourage each other like mm. I went to operation, then I'll tell them I went to this doctor. If maybe they want to go, they can also go. Uh, uh. And and that that sort of support. How did you ex? My question is, how did you access other people who live with ni- neurofibromatosis? Facebook. <laughs> so we met on Facebook, and there was this other page 
it was formed by red disease people and we met there. So we all say IDSA. Oh, okay. So social media has helped a lot. Yes. Yeah. And are you finding that support, uh, seeing it social media, is at a global uh, scale and therefore you're able to share uh, best practice as people who live with a neurofibromatosis? Exactly. Mm. For now, that's the best support that we we can give each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it and, and it and it makes living with it a lot more. What's the word I can use? Bearable. Yes, bearable. Yes, it's correct. Yeah, uh, Mr. Parasi, why is it important for us to commemorate on a yearly basis the Rare Disease Day? You know, you do this, even though you do it once a year, it is in order to bring about awareness among members of the public, uh, including government officials and healthcare professionals. But it is also to demonstrate to those who live with red diseases that there are people out there who care about them and we need to be educated, to be educated even by those who live with the red disease, mm. in order for them to be more understanding of their conditions and try to see how they can assist. Yeah. If you yourself, by the way, live with a rare disease or are in the process or the odyssey of trying to get yourself diagnosed with uh, a condition uh, that uh, is not easily being properly diagnosed for you, please call us and tell us the experience that you are dealing with or the suspicions that you may have that uh, what you have is probably a rare disease. And I'd particularly also be interested to hear people who are suffering from rare diseases who are getting their care from the public sector environment and how they navigate that and how long it took for you to get diagnosed. How easy is it for you to get medication or any resource that you may need to live with your rare disease? Please call us on the number 86 That's 86 2032 or the SMS line 41391. That SMS is 150. The WhatsApp line is 061-410-4107. For now, news headlines with Ava Chipa. Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. At the heart of the conversation today is uh, Red Diseases Day because tomorrow, Thursday, the 29th of February is Red Disease Day and uh, the day is used to raise awareness for rare diseases and to improve access to treatment and medical representation for individuals with rare diseases and their families. According to the Medical Fraternity, there are 7,000 identified rare diseases to date, with some widely recognized by name, such as cystic fibrosis, hemophilia, and sickle cell, while others are less known, such as CAD-I syndrome. Uh, And of course, the biggest problem is in a country like ours, uh, you know, what happens to those that are poor and need specialized or special treatment uh, to deal with uh, the rare disease, knowing how expensive medical care can get and how much we live in the most unequal society in the world. We're conversing with uh, Bada. Pa-
Parasi, the CEO of the Innovative Pharmaceutical Association of South Africa, and Mahlatsi Mashala, uh, who is living with neurofibromatosis. I'm going to assume, uh, Mr. Parasi, that <clears throat> a lot of your funding probably comes from the private sector as the Innovative Pharmaceutical Association uh, to make an investment in the kind of <clears throat> medicines that uh, we need for rare diseases. Yes, that's correct. Uh, pharmaceutical companies, like any other businesses, have investors, they have shareholders, people who invest their money in order to gain some, 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 you know, some, some incentives from, from that, that kind of invest, investment. But because this is healthcare, it is so different from other kinds of businesses as it has this enormity that it affects human lives. And if done properly, can actually save a lot of human lives. Yeah. What kind of uh, public-private uh, partnerships, if at all, exist between yourselves and government? Well, we work closely with patient advocacy groupings. I mentioned the Red Diseases Initiative. And together with them and the specific units within the Department of Health, we do meet from time to time. We share experiences. And on the basis of constant research and development that goes on, we are able to advise them of the latest technologies that can be applied but it is therefore important that everybody come come forward to some kind of funding governments do need to have a uh, very strong political commitment to this collaboration yeah and of course how do we how do we ensure that we charge up these collaborative efforts, uh, especially even at a global partnership level, uh, as well as I, the part I just said, the public-private partnership, when, when we address the, the challenges that we've identified up to now? Uh, besides the rare disease initiative that I mentioned, you have other research initiatives on the African continent including one that is known as Deciphering Development Disorders in Africa, or Triple D Africa. Then there's another one called High Genes Africa. You have the Next Generation Sequencing, which deals with tests for rare diseases in Africa. Then, of course, you also have lots of global partnerships and philanthropic organizations, such as the I Hope Foendation, and centers for Mendelian genomics. Yeah. Um, genomics in particular is a branch of uh, medicine that deals with the latest technology. It's a, it's, a, it's a branch of biotechnology, and I hope <clears throat> I'm not going into two scientific terms, mm-hmm. but genomics is a branch of biotechnology that focuses on applying the techniques of genetics and molecular biology. And the aim here is to understand, analyze, and manipulate the genetic material of organisms. Mm. And once you do that, then you are able to get to the options that you have to treat uh, that particular rare disease. Yeah, yeah. 
Matlatsi, let me ask you how people, people will ask weird questions. How easy or difficult are you finding it uh, for you to explain to people who probably will come with curiosities when they see, uh, uh, you know, uh, they, they come into contact with you about the condition? How easy is it, are you finding it uh, as an individual who lives with neurofibromatosis to explain to average folks? whether they stare or they ask. Did we lose Mashatsi? Mashatsi, are you there? Yes, I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I was asking, I'm saying in your in your lived experience, interactions with people, uh, how easy or difficult uh, uh, is it for you to explain the condition? Um, it, it, for me to explain to them is easy. Mm. But you know people who are failing, yeah? so they want to, to try their product. And when you try to educate them, explain to them, for it, um, this is a condition, it's a genetic condition, this thing won't work, you know, they keep on, they persuade you to try their, their product. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, so it's, it's, it's difficult. And yeah. even every day where you go in the malls, like where you go on holidays, they still stay at you, they will suggest you some things. It's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> so, I still offer, I still, I, I still try to do awareness. So the, the so-called normalcy of life, uh, for you, how how do you navigate it? Uh, you know, I, I don't. I didn't ask how old you are. Are you married? Do you have children? Uh, you know, uh, friends, family, work, all of those dynamics. Or did <clears throat> did the disease impact on just how you navigate life experiences on the daily? Um, because I think okay, previously in the beginning, like I used to. Like, I, I, it, it impacted my confidence, my dress code. I will always cover myself. Like, I was so, 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 like, making myself confident. Mm. So, but up until I told myself, sorry, Masaji, this is what it is. Mm. You are living with this, and there's more to life. And, and you need to live. So, so as as you as you've evolved with the condition, you found your own sort of uh, self confidence. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We have a voice note from one of our listeners. Let's hear what they have to say. Hi there, Lunga Western Cape. I just wanted to ask a question to your guests, just with regards to how funds are allocated. I remember a couple of years ago there being a big. Um, stink regarding sickle cell um, research in that it was not getting enough funding and the the reason being that it affected more black people than white and is that something that is 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 prelevant or is seen or was actually is there any truth to it awesome sure thank you cheers Great question. Do you want to respond, Mr. Parasi? Yes. Uh, I can say with certainty that the South African government and most governments I know of do not allocate funds based on the race of the population that are mostly affected by the disease. Mm-hmm. It has to do with the number of people 
that are affected by that. But because today we're talking about rare diseases, mm. we need to gradually increase awareness among those in government who allocate funding. And of course, this has to be done by the healthcare professionals themselves, the ministers, to ensure that enough funding is allocated for these rare diseases. You know, uh, life is often, or life at in a, in, a, in a kind of strange way, with uh, common infectious diseases such as TB and HIV and AIDS, we've had so many funders come up with millions and millions of funds in order to fight that because it's, it's reached epidemic proportions. Mm. And these days what happens is that many government units actually end up returning the funds allocated to those. And when you look at those diseases, which are either rare or they, they, they have causes that are not infectious, mm-hmm. they lack funding. It's really a matter of balancing the health budget to ensure that we have something also for those rare diseases. Yeah. And that's what governments do, really. It's not based on color. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, as we round off our conversation to the both of you, um, and as uh, Red Diseases Day is commemorated uh, tomorrow, what is your final message, whether it is uh, to potential uh, um, partners, uh, Mr. Parasi, or to government, regards any messaging you want to send out for Red Diseases? Uh, Governments, I would say, governments should ensure Rare diseases are a public health priority, and they must ensure that they raise awareness among policymakers, healthcare professionals, and the general public. We must also ensure that we empower the patients and their wider communities mm. so that we can enable better disease management. As I said previously, let us empower patients to influence the decisions that affect them. To the scientific community, including the pharmaceutical industry, continue with your research and development and help with governments and and other scientists to ensure that we get to the bottom of these diseases. Yeah. And Matlatsi, what would the message that you want to leave people who may not have known about neurofibromatosis be as we commemorate Red Disease Day tomorrow? Uh, like, to treat people the same. And, yeah, man, like, to treat people the same because it's, it's difficult for us to live with them with the condition of one. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a burden on its own. We try so much to build our confidence but Livona on the other side they must just um support us and when we try to explain to them they must listen and yeah. respect us. Yeah. Listen, thank you to the both of you for allowing me all of this time on your calendar today uh, to have this conversation, this very important conversation around uh, rare diseases. Thank you, Bada Parasi, CEO of the Innovative Pharmaceutical Association of South Africa, Matlatse Mashala. Keep on living, girl, living with neurofibromatosis. Thank you to the both of you.
Thank you guys for listening. So the producers of the show, the people who do the slogging in the background, uh, as you hear me uh, talking here on air, there's a lot of people uh, that work it, that work the content and that work um, with issues of the guest. Lebo Musweu and Tabiseng Chilwane are the team behind the magic. And uh, don't forget, update at noon with Sakina Kamwendo. Thank you for having me. It's time for the book reading. The book is still Daddy Issues, written by Ungabe Zirritabile Masobe, read by Lirato Mvelase.